Reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 1 to 15. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. And then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My name is David Williams uh, from CMS St Andrews Hall. I'm here in the St Andrews Hall Library. Uh, it's a joy to be able to open God's word, word with you at St. Columns. Let me pray as we come to the parable of the shrewd manager. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're a living and a speaking God. And we pray that you would speak to us through the scriptures today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the second half of the year 2003 was a tumultuous time for the Anglican Church in Kenya. Following decisions made by the Episcopal Church in the United States, 
The Kenyan church decided that it would no longer accept financial support from those who, in their view, had abandoned Orthodox Christianity. And one of the programs that had been funded from the US was the National Theological Education by Extension program, which had had a grant of around about 70,000 US dollars. So the Anglican Church made the painful decision that it would have to shut this program down. Well, I was serving in Kenya at the time as principal of an Anglican college, and I felt that the National Theological Education by Extension program was just too important to lose. I made an offer that our college would take over running the program and that we would try to find the money to keep it afloat. I had no idea where that money was going to come from. While I was scratching my head wondering what on earth I'd got myself into, I received an email from Australia. It said that an Aussie Christian couple were downsizing their property and they wanted to release substantial funds to support mission. Did I have any ideas about ministries that might benefit from a large gift? Now, imagine the conversation that those Aussie Christians had with their financial advisor. They tell the financial advisor they're thinking about downsizing and the advisor says, great, downsizing your property now is a really smart move. It's fully paid off. You don't need such a big place. And I'd suggest that you invest in Australian and international equities with a balanced risk portfolio. Well, actually, they say we're thinking about uh, supporting an educational establishment in East Africa. Oh, I'm, I'm not sure that uh, investments in Africa really fit uh, my category of a balanced risk portfolio. Uh, you know, the Nairobi Stock Exchange is not for the faint hearted. Oh, we're not worried about risk portfolios. No, we, we just want to give the money away to a Bible college. Well, can you imagine the conversation the financial advisor has uh, as she offloads it with her colleagues back in the office? Oh, you just can't help some people, can you? You work hard to give them good advice and they just go and give their money away. Oh, honestly. Some people don't have the faintest idea about investing. Well, actually, that's not true, is it? Those dear people actually understand rather a lot about investing. They understand that they can't serve both God and money. They understand what it means to be faithful with worldly wealth. They understand that relationships lie at the heart of a true investment strategy. In short, I think they understand the message of Luke chapter 16 and the parable of the shrewd manager. Now, the parable of the shrewd manager follows straight on from the story of the prodigal son. There are lots of similarities. Both stories involve a foolish person who is wasting someone else's money. Both stories are about grace in the face of rebellion. Both stories are about how trust is broken and then restored. And of course, both stories speak to grumbling Pharisees who complain that Jesus welcomes sinners and even eats with them. So there are lessons here to be learned about money 
about sin and salvation. Let's dig into this parable and I'll start off in verses 1 and 2. I've called this little section Cooking the Books. Cooking the Books, verses 1 and 2. There was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. He called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. The beginning of that story, story has lots of echoes from the prodigal son. Just as the son shamed his father, so the manager has shamed his master. The manager has been wasting the rich man's possessions to such an extent that everyone in the community is talking about it. The whole village knows what's going on. The rich man looks stupid. He's been humiliated. So he calls the manager in and confronts him. Now, there's no dispute in the story about whether the manager is guilty or not. Everyone knows that the money has been wasted. This is a fully justified summary dismissal. Now you know what that looks like at KPMG or Deloitte's. It looks like being marched unceremoniously out of the building by two burly security guards with all your possessions in a cardboard box. Severance is brutal. But amazingly that is not what happens here. This manager is going to be summarily dismissed, but he's given a breathing space before he has to turn over the book of accounts. This is like finding that your accountant has been cheating you and then giving them 24 hours longer. So we're left to ask, is the master being weak or foolish? What's what's going on here? Well, I'm sure we're meant to compare the master with the father in the story of the prodigal and understand that the master is being neither weak nor foolish. He's being gracious. The character of the master is holding together both justice and mercy. Because he's just, he calls the dishonest manager to account. Because he's merciful, He allows the dishonest manager a moment of grace. And that mercy and grace of the boss in this story becomes critically important in the next section. So the next section from verse 3 to verse 8, I've called banking on mercy. So the shrewd manager is in a mess. He and his family are facing destitution There's no job seeker, no job keeper. So he mulls through the options. Manual labour. Well, for someone who has been sitting behind a desk, he looks at his hands, smooth and uncalloused. He knows that a day in the field and he'll be wrecked and out of work. The only alternative to manual labour is sitting in the gutter begging. The ultimate humiliation. Then, verse 4, he has a brainwave. I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from my management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill 
and sit down quickly and write 50. Now it's really important that we understand the shrewd manager's strategy here. He's not altering the ledger of accounts so that he personally profits financially straight away. He's not saying, you slip me a bribe, I'll alter the bill. Now he's reducing the bills, but with no immediate financial capital coming back to him. There is no immediate financial benefit coming his way from these alterations. You see, what he's banking on is not financial capital, but social capital. He's creating a whole network of relationships around the village so that everyone is going to love this guy. He is going to be everyone's very best friend. So when he loses his job, he won't be reduced to begging. He will be welcomed into every home in the community. Now that strategy is brilliant, which is why he's called the shrewd manager. It's brilliant because it depends on the character of his boss, the master. For this strategy to work, the shrewd manager is assuming that his boss will overlook the way that the debts have been changed. But that's a very safe assumption because the master has already demonstrated exactly that attitude to the shrewd manager. He didn't march him straight off the property. He extended remarkable grace to him. Even though the manager has been dishonest, the master still values a relationship with him. He gives him time. He opens the possibility of a face-saving outcome. And the shrewd manager understands this little factor about his master's character, and he now stakes his whole future on it. He extends the master's grace to everyone else in the village. Essentially what he's saying is, hey look, the boss has been merciful with me about my wrongdoing. He's bound to now be merciful with you over the debt you owe him. So let's change the bill. It is a very shrewd move, which is why he's called the shrewd manager. And what he's done is recognise that this master is a patron who values and prioritises the relationship with his clients. So there's a big cultural assumption going on in this story. And the big cultural assumption, which is not at all Western, is that money and friendship overlap. We sometimes say, don't do business with friends. But in this culture, you always did business with friends. When I first started working as principal of the Bible College in Kenya, I discovered that nearly all the staff owed the college money. And so I started working to try and help people to pay off their debts. I thought that I would be strengthening the employer-employee relationship. But guess what happened? Every time a staff member got close to paying off their debt, they would get more and more insecure. They'd get more and more insistent that I should offer them a new loan. Because in their minds, 
we were in a patron-client relationship. And in their minds, having a debt strengthened that relationship. So they made the assumption, culturally completely valid, that if I was clearing the debt, then I must be getting ready to sack them. Or perhaps I didn't trust them in some other way. Their interpretation of the debt was primarily in relational terms. My interpretation of the debt was entirely in financial terms. Not surprisingly, there were plenty of bits of the Bible that they understood much better than I did. There is a patron-client relationship that sits at the heart of this parable in Luke 16. The shrewd manager recognises the relationship that the master uh, has with his debtors and he extends the master's grace to everyone in the village. As he does that, banking on his master's character and goodwill, he strengthens his own relationships with the village and so secure his future. It's a very shrewd move. But the master was still financially crooked and he's not commended for his dishonesty. Jesus makes that clear in the story. This man is not a son of the light, verse 8. So we need to handle the application of this parable carefully. So let's look at the final section, verses 9 to 13, and I've called this investing in eternity. So the starting point as we apply this parable to ourselves must be the central theme of the narrative, which is the character of the master. The shrewd manager takes a huge risk. Perhaps we could call it a step of faith. He stakes his whole future on the character of his boss. He decides that his only hope is his boss's grace and mercy. Now remember that this parable is told in the context of the grumbling Pharisees at the start of chapter 15. And the Pharisees appear again at the end of this story. Verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed Jesus. And Jesus said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So there's one central application from the parable of the shrewd manager. And the central application is simply this, that true faith, saving faith, stakes everything on the mercy of our great God. True faith Saving faith stakes everything on the character of a gracious and loving Heavenly Father. But Jesus takes that application and links it specifically to the issue of money. And the reason money is so important is because it's love of money that blinds the hearts of the Pharisees. Saving faith is faith in the master and his character. But as you can see in verse 13, 
Jesus says, you can't serve that master if you're actually serving money. Now, listen carefully to what the Lord Jesus says here. He is not saying, you know, there's a weighing scale here. You've got to try and get the balance right between God and money. You know, maybe at the moment you're 50% God, 50% money. Let's try and get it to 60% God, 40% money. That's not what he's saying. It is impossible to serve God and money. There's only one master, either God or money. So there's no 50-50, no 60-40. It's either 100% God or 100% money. There is no alternative. So how do I tell? How do I tell if I'm serving God as my master or money as my master? Well, that, answer, that question is answered for us by the shrewd manager. He, despite his dishonesty, is a wonderful example to us because he took his master's resources and invested them into relationships. Now, of course, Jesus is not teaching us to be dishonest with money. Of course, it is not okay to cook the books. But can you see the core lesson? Take the master's resources, invest in relationships. Verse 9, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails they may receive you into eternal dwellings. The life of faith takes our material resources and invests them into gospel relationships. That is the lesson of the shrewd manager. So Jesus is asking me, what is my investment strategy? Is my investment strategy a mortgage-free house and a pension fund, or is my investment strategy gospel relationships? Because where I really care about my money going shows me which God I'm serving. Now remember my story at the beginning, the Aussie couple who downsized their house and rescued the National Theological Education Extension Programme in Kenya. Well, according to the parable of the shrewd manager, that couple have a waiting committee ready for them, a welcome committee waiting for them ready in heaven. When this couple arrive in the new creation, there's going to be a bunch of Kenyans eagerly looking out for them. Asante sana, they'll say. Thank you, thank you for your generosity. It enabled our pastor to get properly trained and through his ministry, we came to know Jesus. Your money made such a difference to us. And the Aussies will say, no, no, it was never our money, always the master's. And if you support mission or ministry, that is your privilege too. A welcome committee waiting for you in heaven, ready to thank you 
for your investment into their lives. And I'm sure there'll be people who you will be waiting to welcome who've invested into your life too. Let's pray that God would help us to apply this parable to our hearts and lives. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the shrewd manager that he banked everything on his boss's character and invested in relationships. May he be a witness to us to help us to understand what it means to serve you and not money. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.